What's up? We're going to talk some college football on today's Rosillo podcast with Jimmy Cannell. And I'm actually looking forward to it. We're going to get to all the top teams, that kind of stuff, but also the paying players with the new agreement that was signed in California that wouldn't even take place until the beginning of 2023, the Fair Play Act. But I think there's some really good stuff to talk about with it. And I also want to talk about the Diego Maradona documentary that I watched last night from HBO because it is outstanding and it got me thinking a lot about stars and the way we treat them and what we should or shouldn't do. And I don't know that I have any of those answers, but I do know this. The answer to a good time is Belvedere Vodka. Produced in one of the world's longest running distilleries, Belvedere Vodka is the world's finest all-natural vodka. Part of a 600-year Polish vodka-making tradition, Belvedere is made with 100% Polska rye, pure water, and no additives. And by the way, for those of you out there who've been sending pictures of you with Belvedere on Twitter, some of you on Instagram that have gotten a little weird, but let's uh, let's keep that rolling. Keep sending those to me, at Ryan Arasillo on Twitter if you want to, because Belvedere sees them, make you really happy, and I don't know. I don't know what it's, what's going to mean for you, but it's great for me. I'll be completely selfless. That was a joke at the end. So remember, if you're going to send those, try to be responsible about it. Also, letting you know that Zorro.com is where you'll find everything you need for businesses of any size in almost any industry. They have tools, equipment, and supplies for everything you need. Whether you need stuff for industries like electrical, plumbing, manufacturing, or more, Zorro's got it. From brands you know and trust, and Zorro.com offers amazing customer service from real people based in the U.S., visit Z-O-R-O.com forward slash dual, D-U-A-L, in all lowercase letters to sign up for Zmail and get 15% off your first order. So check them out at Zorro.com. I am not a soccer guy by any means. I like a lot of you out there, made fun of soccer. I played for two years, which was also basically a babysitting league when I think I was five and six, and I hated it. And I hated it because my dad hated it. And you know, being the oldest and having a very alpha father, you know, he was very, um, I was just, he was very impressionable to me. Like I wanted him to always be proud of me. Um, you know, I was talking about it with my brother the other day. We were talking about how great my father is with music. And then even growing up, you know, where I'd be like, well, what about Led Zeppelin? He'd be like, oh, the first time I saw them. And he would take me through the whole catalog and we would listen to it. We work construction. And those are some of the great memories I'll always have about my dad and that, you know, the Allman Brothers and, and all these different things. He'd be like, okay, if you want Elizabeth Reed, though, you got to listen to the Fillmore East one because that one's five times better. And, you know, if, then if I said, hey, you know, you know who I really like is The Who? And he'd be like, eh, Daltrey's kind of a poser, man. And then I'd be like, oh, no, maybe I don't want to like The Who as much. Where I still really kind of liked The Who when I was younger in this little phase, but I understand that The Who, they're not Led Zeppelin. You know, Jimi Hendrix is one thing. Clapton is one thing. But if you really want Clapton, you want Cream. And he would be like, yeah, you know, I, I, maybe I don't want to diss maybe your favorite band, but let's just put it this way. When we were working construction growing up, putting brick walks down, we were listening to The Almonds, Zeppelin, Hendrix, Clapton. Um, we weren't listening to Chicago. All right. And so my brother and I were talking about that the other day and just that, you're like, you know, who was really good on music? Dad, dad was really good with this stuff, but he was also somebody that got me to hate soccer because he hated soccer and he loves it now. And I, I don't know if I love it because I haven't decided to figure out like which club team is going to get me up super early. 
And unfortunately, because I've watched so much and I feel like I've spent a really long part of my life being incredibly imbalanced as far as what time I put into relationships and friendships and, and just, you know, deciding, Hey, I have an afternoon off. Like I'm just going to go somewhere where instead it's like, okay, I got to make sure I'm in front of the TV. And I'm not asking anybody to cry for me on this because really having to watch games isn't that big of a deal. But when you watch as many as I've watched, it's really hard to decide that I'm going to also spend some other free time watching sports that I don't even have to watch. Cause I never have to talk about them. So that's really what it comes down to. Like I love hockey, but you're probably not going to see me sitting at home watching a hockey game when I have a night where I don't have to watch any hockey or I don't have to watch any sports for that matter. So that's kind of what soccer fell into and made fun of the World Cup in the 90s, you know, when I was at college and thought my other friends that grew up playing soccer that were super into it were losers or they were guys that always trying to be different or like that friend of yours that roots for other countries in the Olympics besides the United States. You know, I'm like, what the hell? What are you trying to prove? And then soccer guy always got pissed at you. And that was always something I'd said a long time ago is that it wasn't so much the game of soccer. It was the fan of soccer who was far more fucking annoying that turned me off from the whole thing. So I say all of this is a big setup and apparently to give my dad a massive shout out for his musical taste, but that I didn't really get the Diego Maradona thing. Like I knew the deal. I knew the hand of God. I knew that goal. I remember him being on the cover of Sports Illustrated when I was, I don't know, 11, 10 years old, and then carrying that through to 14 and 15. You know, for me, junior highs, when I think I first started becoming kind of globally aware of, of some things, you know, thinking, oh, I mean, this Chernobyl thing's crazy, right? And then Ben Johnson in the Olympics, then realizing that the U.S. doping thing was just as dirty years later when you read different books. But Maradona, the documentary and his story is really a story about what do we want our heroes to be? And I have never spent much time holding my heroes to a standard that I think is unobtainable. And I have the benefit of being around more of these guys. And I've always kind of had this thought that I think a lot of times with public figures, they're almost more surprising when they are normal. But I can't imagine that Diego Maradona was ever going to be normal. I mean, here's this kid from Argentina who ends up playing you know club soccer and he ends up really the stories about him in Napoli Naples where you want to talk about the Miami Heat signing the big 3 that thing looks like a fucking car wash in high school compared to what the stadium in the city of Naples did when Maradona showed up from Barcelona like that was insane like this massive rush of traffic trying to get to the stadium and the whole stadium is full just to have him go out and wave to everybody in this massive soccer stadium. And then he's there and he's sitting down and he's ready to do his press conference. And so whenever I think about this can sound incredibly biased or I don't know what it sounds like. Like sometimes when I think we're nuts as Americans, there's so many times too, where I'm like, wait a minute, maybe we're incredibly laid back on the global scale of things. Because when you look at some of the soccer stuff, you're like, that is level 10 crazier than anything that I think we ever do, except for maybe some college football stuff down in the South. And so here he is playing for this club team that had always sucked and they win a title. They, they win their, their league's championship against all these other Italian teams that are far more established and the fact that Naples, the people of Naples, it was this real divisive Southern Italy versus the Northern Italians where the Northern Italians, some of the songs that they sing about the Southern Italian guys is, is out of control. Like, look, I went to Naples in and out and then went down to the Southern coasts. And so I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be like, well, that reminds me of my time in Southern Italy. But 
Naples has a rep of of being a tougher city and and a little on the the grungier side. You can only imagine what it was like in the mid '80s and the songs from Juventus fans saying "Go wash yourself." You have cholera. I mean, it was just ridiculous. And the the players are sitting there listening to these songs about him the whole time. So there was there was a Naples thing, this Napoli club team of having Maradona and having the success, where it was this this version of themselves that they never even thought was possible. And so guess what? Maradona is this god, and I mean god. Okay, I don't even think it's obtainable in the United States to be what he was to those people there. I, I'm serious. And then he parties a ton and he gets in with really rough crowd of guys that are like real guys, not just club promoters, you know, handing you pamphlets. Um, they have him wiretapped at some point later in this other investigation where he's talking about cocaine. He's talking about prostitutes and on and on and on. But guess what? They're winning and everybody knows the deal and there's no really standard drug testing. And if there is, the president even said, hey, they probably had Maradona borrowing somebody else's pissed to pass the test and you know nobody really cared even though we all knew that this guy was out partying and he was he was just an animal and yet no one care right because they're winning and it's it's something to feel prideful about and then he's playing for argentina's national team in the 1990 world cup and in the semi-final which is insane that this happened where the semi-final game actually ended up being in naples Argentina beats the Italian team, and then it turns into the, he's like the most hated figure. They ran some poll in the documentary that they showed from a newspaper at the time where he was the most hated person in Italian history. Now, I'd imagine that some of that wasn't actually just coming from Naples itself. It would be all these other Italian club fan bases that hated him because of what he was able to do. But to have it now be official, okay, we hate you. And during the World Cup, final they're booing the hell out of him and they're not booing argentina as much as they're booing him and you actually this is i thought the best part of the documentary where you can see maradona say you bitches you sons of bitches and he's saying that during their anthem because he's getting booed like he is and yet here i am this guy that came to your club won in an unprecedented fashion murals of me all over the city a god in your eyes and now you're turning on me this quickly because our national team just beat your national team when Italy was supposed to win the whole World Cup because they were good and they were the home team. And so guess what happens then? This investigation he gets charged with not just possession of drugs, but trafficking. Tax fraud stuff where he owed like $39 million, which I was just reading about this morning. And apparently they said actually he wasn't found guilty of this. Italy just turned on this dude because of a soccer game. All right. And I'm like, this is imagine if LeBron, the first time he left Cleveland, then when he went back and then people thought he was going to leave again, got him for like wire fraud and, you know, accused him of of, you know, all sorts of personal behavior that exposed him to be this completely different guy because Cleveland was upset. That's basically what you had here in Naples. And it just always reminds me of of what. What do you want these guys to be? Now, I'm not telling you Maradona's some great dude, because I'm not, but I felt bad for him through this. Now, he's the one that decided to live the lifestyle that he did. He's the guy that decided to ignore an illegitimate kid for 30 years. He's the guy that's had multiple issues with drugs. And I'm not sitting here saying, hey, we all be, have to be sympathetic about every single person that makes bad decisions. But 
he was the same guy the whole time. And until basically one soccer result went against the Italian fan base, that's when they decided to treat him like an entirely different guy. And I think almost anybody would look at that and say, hey, he may have been a really fucked up guy, but the way Italy handled that is, is incredible. Go see the documentary. We'll talk some college football with Danny Cannell. Before we get to Danny, I want to remind you about ZipRecruiter because hiring can be a slow process. Cafe Altura's COO, Dylan Miskowitz, needed to hire a director of coffee for his organic coffee company, but he was having trouble finding qualified applicants. So he switched to ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. Its technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. Dylan posted his job on ZipRecruiter and said he was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones, and that's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right, man, what's going on? It's uh, It's been a little while, and people were demanding this, so we, we had to make sure we had a little bit of um, a sample of the college football season before we could get to it. So how's everything going, man? fantastic man the surprise of the season so far was getting to run into you in austin texas like getting to watch the game it was like old times we were watching clemson bama national championship game and getting to watch that lsu texas game on the sideline was pretty cool but it was better than the game was getting to catch up with you man for real no i really um and i i think you know like i really was was pumped to get to hang out with you because it had been a while and it you know, in a way, it was kind of bittersweet because it reminds you of like what we were both doing. But uh, I don't know. I just felt like you were the happiest I'd seen you in a long time, and I don't know. I was just it was it was great to see. It was a really fun game. It it sucked when Tom Herman's buddy was high five and everybody, and he was mad <laughs> I wouldn't high five him after Texas would get a um <laughs> stop. He doesn't. Uh, he obviously he obviously doesn't know relationship that you've got going in Baton Rouge like he or else he would have known better like I knew better even though it was SEC game I'm sitting there rooting for Texas with my anti-SEC bias but he, he clearly didn't know your connections to Baton Rouge no and then when <laughs> when all the guys on LSU started going down I just had had it so I went over to the LSU sideline and then I just was, I asked somebody who was working the game I go what what's going on with these guys and he's like look he's like two guys are in the locker room one guy hasn't come back one guy's sitting over there he's like so everybody booing thinking that we're faking these injuries like dudes are just going down right now so we'll, we'll get to kind of all of that stuff and uh yeah it was really cool to catch up but I know I don't want to start with the paying players thing because I'm afraid it's going to derail us from everything else. Um, but right now, and this is an amazing stat, for the first time since 1969 that we've had the top six teams that were in the preseason AP poll are still the same top six teams now through September. We can talk about it being an anomaly, and it certainly is, but how big of a deal do you think that is right now for college football? I think it's a huge deal because I think it gives a lot of teams hope and a lot of fan bases hope, but I also think it's more than just hope. I think you're seeing a, a bunch of worthwhile contenders that can actually knock off Bama and Clemson 
some of that is also combined with Bama and Clemson haven't looked that great. Now, Clemson has more significant issues. Bama's defense, I still think, is going to be fine, but their offense is clicking on all cylinders, maybe the best wide receiving core in the country. But from a standpoint of, I don't love Bama Clemson again. You know, like I, I, I get sequels, I get trilogies. I, I'm not into that many times seeing them. And who knows? Maybe they do face again. You know, like I wouldn't bet against it. Like they still probably will get there, especially with Clemson's schedule. But I think from a general college football interest, fan interest, ratings game, all of that, I think it's awesome. Like I love it. And you're seeing like teams that had flaws all of a sudden starting to figure them out. LSU is really a great example. Like they're to me one of the, the best stories of the season with what they're doing offensively. And all of a sudden, like that matchup, that showdown with Bama's looking that much better. Uh, think about the question marks we had about Ohio State. And I still have some, but Ryan Day has looked more than up to the task. They haven't had a letdown game, which they had under Urban Meyer when they lost to Purdue. Uh, Justin Fields comes in, takes over, uh, you know, looks better than Dwayne Haskins to date. So I think all these storylines, I don't know how you felt. Last year, I felt college football was a little bit of a dud. Like, I thought the NFL took center stage last year. And I remember saying that, and I took a lot of heat from college football fans. I think it's the complete opposite. I think college football, early on, with all the injuries we're seeing in the NFL, but the kind of excitement, how many teams are in the mix, I think it's off to a fantastic start after just a month of the season. Yeah, because with the NFL last year, I think the Mahomes thing really was like a wake-up call to going, you know, this is this is what is possible now in this league if you have a guy like this. And not to say that everyone can just sign up and get a Pat Mahomes, but I feel like what he did, you know, made you want to watch. And it certainly keeps me looking the same way towards the Sunday games. But, you know, I'm always going to like Saturday more than Sunday. I can't imagine that ever changing for me. And as much as I'll sit there and say, hey, you know, what's wrong with with Warriors versus LeBron again? But when you put it that way, you know that 28 other fan bases in the NBA are going to say, well, I'll tell you all the problems with it because they just already know that they're eliminated from it. And then, you know, whether I look at the lack of turnover of the AP that we could be looking back a month from now being like, hey, remember we were worried about that? Now now look what happened. How much certainty do you have about these teams being the only teams that can win a national championship? Because you've always had a very open mind about this, even if I felt like some of the times the open-mindedness was like just a great debate. You know, like sometimes when you've talked about some of these other teams that I feel like shouldn't have a chance at a national championship, I didn't know if you really felt those teams were up to that standard. But do you feel like it is this six-team group and then everybody else? I think absolutely it's the six-team six team group. I would also say if things kind of fall in place and a couple teams like turn it up a notch and actually get better through the season, which I know we think is impossible sometimes, but it actually does happen. Like, for instance, Oregon. I thought Oregon looked really good against Auburn, but they lost. They can put together a streak and run the day. Like, I think they've shown more than capable. They can they could find their way in, uh, and they could compete with any of those six teams. Uh, Texas. I mean, Texas is a good example. They lost. But it was, I thought it was a pretty impressive loss. I thought they went toe-to-toe with LSU and gave a pretty good punch and had a chance late in that game. Now, they're going to have to get past Oklahoma, but they beat them last year. You know, I think we forget about that sometimes. So I think it's even deeper than just the six. Now, would I put a meaningful amount of money on a team outside of that top six right now? Probably not. And there are some flaws. You know, even Ohio State and Oklahoma, who, you know, 
I took a little bit of heat because, oh, my goodness, I have Ohio State at three. Like, the, uh, the, the disrespect I've shown the Buckeyes for having them ranked at three in my meaningless top eight, which I do every eight. Like, the offense that I've shown them is outrageous. But, I mean, are we really sold on them as the best team in the country with the teams they've beaten? And I get you can only do what you've done on the, on the, the schedule, and they've handled teams. They've looked awesome. But the amount of overreaction because they housed Nebraska – was a little bit over the top when you're considering, all right, we really, yeah, do we, do we remember that Nebraska was four and eight last year? Like, I think we no. totally forgot that. No, <laughs> I, I mean, can I just, can I just jump? Cause you're, you're, you're not like, I, I think I sent one college football tweet out on Saturday. Cause a lot of times, you know, I go, I just want to watch these games. And I don't want to sit here and get caught up in some of this stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm listening and I would put Herbie and Fowler up with anybody, but then it started turning into this statement game by Ohio State. Like you couldn't say anybody else is better than him. And I'll sit here. And as I mentioned in the tweet, like I will admit if you came on and said, I think Ohio State's the best team. I can't tell you you're wrong. I, there's nothing. There's no argument that I have like, no, you're out of your mind. You're out of mind. But it's not going to be against Nebraska, who just constantly I'm, I'm convinced they're a win away from being back in the coaches poll. And they. I, people just love ranking that freaking team. It was the only team that wasn't in a bowl game that was in the preseason top 25. And it was because they had a bunch of close losses and everybody just figured Frost was going to figure this thing out, even though the quarterback still can't throw. So maybe Ohio State is better than Bama, Clemson. I'm open to that. But that became like a bad Saturday day of games. Clemson having to go to the wire with UNC and Bama giving up a few more points than we'd like. I think the same thing's happened with LSU a couple times where it's like, oh, wait a minute, what's going on with the defense now? But I don't know why it became this statement thing where maybe the biggest statement isn't just day, it's that Shiano's not the D coordinator there anymore because there were rumblings going back that it was like, you know, this team just isn't as locked in defensively and some of it gets back to him that really didn't have as much to do with Urban. So that to me was a very like, hey, bad slate, this is the primetime game, and because Nebraska was stupidly ranked, now we're supposed to really look at this win by Ohio State as a, as a statement. And really the statement is, is that Fields is awesome, and the defense looks to be incredible, even if you want to knock the competition. Yeah, and, and they've handled it. I mean, they've, and it's not, again, like and I think you and I are on the same page. It's not, hey, Ohio State isn't good or they're overrated. No, they're playing awesome. But I think, like, even this weekend, I think Ohio State and Oklahoma are kind of similar, right? I mean, Oklahoma, there's a massive amount of love going toward Lincoln Riley and to Jalen Hurts, who, again, I think Ohio State and Oklahoma, I think, are very, very similar this season because they've been on fire, they have dominated teams, but they haven't really been tested yet. And maybe they pass those tests. But, Ryan, for me, until they do it, I'm going to give them the credit they're due. Like, I wouldn't say, hey, uh, they're, they're going to be a bust or they're not going to make the playoff. But – I still kind of look at them and just say, all right, what is this team going to do when they're in the fourth quarter and they get knocked in the mouth or they, they're in the fourth quarter and they're trailing, which maybe it doesn't happen the entire season, but it's college football. We see it happen all the time. Sooner or later, we're going to test it. And then I'll feel much better and stronger about having an opinion about one of, about either one of those teams, either way, like a really strong, emphatic, Hey, the team isn't going to win the big 10 or, you know, Oklahoma's not going to win the Big 12, or saying it's a slam dunk they're going to. I just don't feel comfortable saying that with the lack of opportunity that they've had so far this season. And it's not their fault because their schedule's been set up that way. Yeah, I, I don't know what to do with Oklahoma. I mean, Kenneth Murray, they're a really good linebacker who's leading them in tackles after they shut down Texas Tech to 16 points. is like saying, 
this is this is Oklahoma football again. You go, okay, maybe. I mean, maybe, but that's 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 the hold up with them. Okay, and, and we don't know what's going to happen with Texas. Um, Texas dealing with some injuries now, and you know Ellinger is the type of quarterback where maybe in today's Big Twelve he's a bit of an advantage because he can slow the pace down a little and he can just wear you out. Like when we were watching an LSU game. What happened in that game is exactly what I thought was going to happen for the most part is that he was going to keep them in it with his running. Um, and I feel like I'm I'm just sort of rambling, so just jump in wherever. But, you know, LSU has this offense that looks unlike anything we've seen, but it's also a defense that let Texas get back into that game and gave up a bunch of points to Vandy. But when I push back on like, hey, I'm not ready to start worrying about LSU's defense, like I've heard from other people, because I think that's just sort of what happens, right? You're an analyst. You're mm-hmm. talking, one guy's talking up LSU, and then you decide to jump in and go, yeah, but what's wrong with that defense? I'm going to go ahead and guess that the Tigers defense under Aranda that's always really good is going to be pretty good again with all those NFL players, and that Vandy was an absurd game where they could have scored 100, and the defense doesn't play as tough, and I think it got really hot in Texas that whole week, even though it wasn't as bad during the game, where guys left and right were falling apart, and both teams just started moving up and down the field like crazy in the fourth quarter, so... Yeah, I don't I don't know that Oklahoma's better than everybody else, but I think for those teams it's simply just keeping this thing going and avoiding that Clemson loss that could have happened in North Carolina that may have eliminated them entirely even as the defending champs because of the rest of the schedule or um you know a team a team like Ohio State avoiding the like how the hell did you lose to a 6 and 6 team? So everybody's passed their <laughs> tests, but there's just not enough there to say that I know any one of those teams is better than any of the other ones. Right, and uh, the way I've kind of been doing like a top 25, and we did this a little bit when we were on the show together with ESPN, was kind of put them in tiers, right? And the one big change that I made this past weekend was I had probably four tiers in the top 25 last week, and it was Bama and Clemson were all by themselves in a top tier, and then it was the next four teams, and it was Ohio State, it was Oklahoma, it was Georgia, and it was LSU. And this so the big change that I made was putting all six of those in an equal tier, which I do think is pretty fair. I think it's a fair assessment about all of them. And like, I'm not ready to drop Clemson out either um, just because they had a close call against the North Carolina team. And I know like, Hey, they were awful last year, but I mean, it's, it is. And this is where I kind of agree with Dabo Sweeney. It is college football. You know, like you do get tested sometimes and it was ugly, but good teams find a way to win ugly. And they did dodge a massive bullet, but they still won. And I think they'll get things figured out. They've had other, I mean, last year, they almost, and I get that Trevor Lawrence got knocked out of the game and it was his first start, but they got taken to the wire against Syracuse at home. And yet they managed to figure it out where they pretty much dominated the rest of their schedule. So I'm not ready to throw Clemson out either, like all of these teams. And just to kind of echo off your point about defenses, I think we need to totally reevaluate the way we look at defense and we judge what is good defense. And yes, it's been awesome. And, you know, the Ohio State's been shutting out teams and, you know, holding them to a not a lot of points. And they look great against Nebraska. But as far as LSU's concerns or Bama's concerns, the teams they're playing against, they have new offenses. And when it gets late in the game, a lot of starters are going to rest them. You're going to take them out. You're playing prevent. You're not just facing a team that's going to line up in the eye formation and just, you know, kind of let the clock go down. No, they're still, they're still throwing the ball down the field. They're still testing your defense and they're just going to kind of, they're going to put up some garbage points. They might even put up points that matter, but it's a new landscape. These offensive schemes are designed to neutralize the physical talent gap. 
And so you basically you have to figure out how to get two things, how to get stops and how to get turnovers. You know, if you can get off the field when it matters and you can get turnovers and prevent, you know, a bunch of big plays and you can prevent a bunch of points, then you're going to be okay. But we have to start reevaluating what is a great elite defense because it's just the landscape has changed too much. Yeah, some of these games where if I were a good team going up against another good team and you hold, you hold them to 28, like you should you should feel good about that some weeks. Oh, like we held these guys at 28. And, you know, a lot of this stat stuff that I that I dig through, and it's like, you know, it's it's harder and harder to argue against the, yeah, you guys can move the ball over the field, but we just don't want to let you get those deep shots. But we know once you get into the red zone, like we have less of a field to cover. The stuff on the outside isn't as easy to run now. So, you know, if you want to beat us with bubble screens for 20 yards from your own 30, go ahead. But, like, you can't right. call that. You're not going to be able to call that. Because even if you have numbers, like it just, you know, some of that stuff on the outside just doesn't work when it's that much closer. And I think coordinators, I think everybody's just kind of up for that now. And and we have to kind of update the way we judge this stuff by the stuff we uh, see. So, by the way, since we just did this whole thing of collectively saying maybe we don't know, do you want to do a hypothetical with the top six? Because we, we haven't talked about Georgia yet which I think is worth bringing up because I picked him to win the whole thing. And, you know, I was trying to do something probably different, which sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But if Bamba Clemson played right now in neutral field, who would you pick? Um, I would I would probably lean Alabama. I mean, they have looked so good offensively. Um, Clemson has had their issues. I mean, I think it would be hands down. I think you'd kind of be crazy not to from what you've seen so far. The funny thing about Clemson is, you know, I take a lot of heat. And I remember you kind of roll your eyes because you do this every single week. And it'd be like, oh, here we go. Because remember I had Florida State number one, Bama number one, Ohio State. Like, whoever the defending champion was, I just have a firm belief. Like, hey, they should stay. They should retain that top spot. Even if every single biggest, player leaves, right? Like, every important player yeah, leaves. Yeah, just exactly. Want to, no matter what. Yeah, I think it's Yeah, insane. no matter what. I just think, yeah, it's just that it's a, I know. It's a unique philosophy. And it's, hey, what it, it is what it is. <laughs> but here's what's kind of crazy about it is when I get pushback, and everybody's like, well, Clemson's not the same team. Look at all those defensive players that are in the NFL now. The defense hasn't been the problem. Like, the defense has actually been pretty good. It's their offense, which does have Trevor Lawrence, which does have Travis Etienne, which does have a slew of wide receivers, you know, uh, Higgins and Ross and these six four weapons on the outside. So, like, I'm like, all right, the defense has actually looked better. So what does that mean? Um, but aside from that, let's do your, let's do your thing. So I, but I would, to answer your question, I mean, if it was in a week, I would definitely pick Alabama, the way Clemson has looked sloppy um, so far. And I think they absolutely have to do some figuring out uh, how to protect Trevor Lawrence better. I mean, he's got to protect himself. He's out there scrambling around, taking way too many hits. They do have some issues, but I feel like they'll figure them out by the time December rolls around. And they have the luxury of playing an ACC schedule, which is extremely light. So they can probably take their time, and it's not going to catch up to haunt them. They're not going to lose. Yeah, the hardest thing for them probably isn't the defensive turnover or the fact that, you know, people have a little bit more time to figure out Lawrence and, you know, this this stuff where he's the number one pick out of high school versus now he's throwing picks. Um, you know, it's it's not shocking. I'm I'm sure it's hard. The hardest thing for that staff is going, you know, we're on this run where they don't think anybody even belongs on the field with them, and then we get to get these kids up. And people can make it about being kids. Well, if the, the L.A. Rams can give up 55 to the Bucks at home. Then eighteen to twenty-two year old kids cannot take an opponent 
as serious as they need to. And that's always this thing every year where it's like, oh, FPI says this, and oh, this team has a 78% chance to go undefeated. Like, I don't want to read any of that shit, man. I don't want to read any of it because every year we see teams, I don't expect any team to go undefeated, even Alabama. And that's what's so impressive about this Clemson run of recent years and the Alabama run since 08, that Saban's basically like, yeah, we don't really ever, you know, the most embarrassing loss they had was in the national championship game to a stacked Clemson team, which just you know, was a game that became ugly. So, all right. So I, I agree should with the Alabama. Should we, real quick, but I think, but go ahead. Can I say something real quick? Cause I do think you're onto something. Like, why are we all, Oh, like after, let's say Wisconsin this past weekend, they played Northwestern. They looked awful. We're like, Oh, that's the hangover game. What, have we not realized there's a hangover year for all these programs? Look, 2014, it was Florida State. 2015, it was Ohio State. Bama is the one team that's been able to do it, but the times they didn't repeat, what'd you hear out of them? Hey, we weren't as dialed in. You know, we had guys worried about the NFL. Clemson, to me, is really no different than what we've seen. Now, Bama turned it around once. They were able to go back-to-back. We haven't seen anybody hardly do that in the history of college football because it is hard. You know, like, and I think we shouldn't be surprised. Ohio State, they're on a mission this year. Bama, they're on a mission. Why? Because they either got left out of the playoffs or they got beat in the final game, so they're all ticked off. Meanwhile, Clemson last year had all these guys return. They passed on the NFL draft so they could come back and do something special. What happens? They do something special. Those guys are gone. I do wonder where the emotional heartbeat of that team comes from. Because Trevor Lawrence, really good kid, but he's kind of reserved. You know, he's got all this attention, but he's not out, you know, he's just, he's not going to be that guy, I don't think. And it's not a knock against him. It's just, you need it kind of come from a middle linebacker or somebody who's just going to light up your ass on the field. And maybe somebody develops in that team. Maybe it's Dabo, maybe it's one of the coaches, but I don't, I don't think it should be really shocking to this point that Clemson has looked lethargic. And we always see this happen where you get a little bit cocky and you're like, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Until one day. It almost happened this Saturday. You're not fine, and you get beat, and then it's kind of the cycle starts all over again. Okay, there's a million things in there, but you may have sworn for the first time ever on a podcast that that's historic. Because <laughs> well, I can. Yeah, you I'm go take for advantage it. Of it. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Look at me just getting vulgar on here. No, a vulgar Danny Cannell on the Ringer podcast. Now. You brought up something with Bama last year, right? Because after they lose, then what was it? Hey, we were too reliant on Tua. We didn't have enough balance in play calling. You know, turnover on this coaching staff, which has actually been a positive for him for this entire time because all these coordinators want to work their ass off and prove themselves to Saban so they get another great job somewhere else. And then now all of a sudden it catches up to them. They were 14-0. and They beat ranked teams 45-23, 29-zip. The Georgia game was a touchdown game, and I thought they were clearly better than Oklahoma despite the score only being 11 points at the end of it. And then they lose to Clemson. So after a team that goes 14-0 and wins the best conference in the country again, it's like, yeah, man, we really had a lot of things we needed to clean up. So like that <laughs> yeah. can happen too, and, and we'll hear those things from Clemson. I mean, it's the same thing with Trevor Lawrence. Like It sounds like he's gone from unprecedentedly calm to too relaxed is this guy just too laid back of a guy you know and it's like man everybody loved it last year everybody loved it. like you can't phase yeah. this dude and now it's like man you know we just need a little bit more alpha out of this guy like you know what, what's what's going on with him but you know none of this is a knock against clemson the defensive points that you've made are perfect and the fact that the personnel is there on offense like I'm maybe this is the thing after North Carolina where they get a little bit of a test and the coaches can yell at these guys a little bit more and say, Hey, you know, you, you guys are a two point conversion away from maybe pissing this whole thing away. So, um, time to wake up and the same thing with Bama's defense, but I would still probably pick Bama based on, 
I they feel a little bit more like Bama than Clemson feels like Clemson, and that's holding Clemson to their own standard, and that's why we agree on that one. Georgia, Ohio State, yep. then. Who would you pick? Oh, that's a good one. I would I would probably Jeez, that's a good one. So I've seen more from Georgia. I thought their Notre Dame, their win against Notre Dame I thought was more impressive than Alabama or excuse me, than Ohio State going to Lincoln. I just it's a fact. So what we've seen already on the field, uh, but we haven't seen Georgia offensively with the explosion that you've seen from Justin Fields uh, in Ohio State's offense. Defensively, Chase Young, that crew, I mean, they're, they're pretty special too. I would probably go with Georgia because, and this is what I said after Jake about Jake Fromm after that Notre Dame game, and I really said it going in, but I kind of echoed it after the game, is that Jake Fromm is the most consistent, most reliable quarterback in the country. And some Georgia fans were like, oh, well, you know, is that he's not the best quarterback? And I'm like, no. And then, of course, I had, you know, Clemson or Ohio State fans saying, oh, well, he's not the best quarterback. I'm like, no, I didn't say it. he's the most consistent, most reliable quarterback in the country, meaning I know exactly what I'm going to get out of Jake Fromm. I am going to get uh, accurate passing. He's not going to make a bad mistake. He's going to put your offense in good situations, meaning checks at the line of scrimmage. You know, if he has to change out of a play, he's going to put you into better play. I mean, he really is. And with Justin Fields, I know he's been electric. I know he's been good so far, but I don't know what he's going to do against a caliber defense like Georgia. So I would probably lean Georgia in that situation um, because of the experience factor at quarterback. But I think it would be a heck of a game. Like, I would love to watch that one unfold. You know what was nice about that whole thing? Are you with thing? me on that? Uh, you know what? I, I There's nothing you said where I went, eh, I disagree with, except I would just pick Ohio State. It's just a gut feeling, yeah. even though... The Notre Dame win is more impressive than anything Ohio State does, and that, that can't be debated unless, you know, Ohio State, excuse me, well, Ohio State, when they, they look at what's happening to Notre Dame nationally last few years, they're like, hey, this is fun, isn't it? When you make it really far, but everybody dumps on you because you don't win. So I had this theory going back to when Ohio State lost back-to-back national championships against Florida, which was just an ugly game, and then... You know, Trestle was like, we thought we were in that game, and then they returned the kick, and it just got it turned into a disaster. And then Trestle always said about the LSU one, he goes, that was one where immediately we knew we had no chance. So he actually says the LSU one was like more revealing that like we're not going to do anything with these guys, even though the Florida one felt uglier. But the point that I'm making is that here you are, Ohio State, you're winning the Big Ten, you're getting into the national championship game, remember, which is just those two teams. And because you're making far than everybody else, then you become a national punchline as if your team sucks because you lose in the game that everybody's watching. And that's happening to Notre Dame a little bit with the playoff last year and the national championship game against Bama now seven years ago, where Notre Dame, it never feels like anybody respects either the talent level or what their record is, considering their schedule's better than some of these other teams that are power five teams. Um, so I've I've heard some people say like, ah, oh, the Georgia win against Notre Dame, like, eh, whatever. Like Notre Dame was, you know, look, they had a short field on one of the touchdowns to get the ball back with a chance, so we could frame it however we want. But you can't act as if that's that's beating, um, you know, I, I don't want to pick a, a non-group of five here. You know, you just you just can't act like it's some walkover win that's a bad non-conference matchup because it just isn't. Notre Dame's going to be more up for that right. game in Athens than other programs are. I think Notre Dame is still in a position where they could now – they obviously need some help of what else, but they have through the next, they can just get through the next four games, which sounds like, hey, if they can just do that, but they got past a massive test of Virginia. Like, I think Virginia is a good team 
and they handled them in the second half. They really took over that game. They've got USC and I think Michigan. I think those. I think those are the kind of the two uh, games, and there's one other opponent in there. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but if they get back through that stretch, their last four games of the season are really pretty. They should be like two touchdown favorites, where that could be a really interesting dynamic if they're a one loss, you know, independent who doesn't have a conference championship game. And I really think that Georgia. I think I don't see. I don't think Georgia gets through their regular season undefeated like that's kind of a weird thing i think ohio state does but i don't think georgia does i mean i think who knows what's gonna happen in florida this weekend against auburn but i think i think florida could pick off georgia i think auburn could pick off georgia where i think you could see notre dame get into the playoff while georgia's sitting at home because they could have two losses at the end of the year and that'll be just another fascinating discussion for the whole playoff debate of hey who's in who's not what's deserving but I could see that scenario unfolding where, you know, Georgia beat Notre Dame at home and yet Notre Dame finds their way in the playoff somehow. Yeah, because it'll still count depending on what happens here with Georgia. And that's the thing I don't always love about this because I do think seasons change within the seasons and we want to act like, you know, it's something I've constantly banged the drum on and I still don't feel like enough people listen to me on it, but like a team may be entirely different week two than week 12. So if Auburn now hits a really tough stretch of their schedule – and I'm glad you brought up Oregon because once Oregon had lost, it felt like Cal became the Pac-12's only hope, and then it was Washington State, and now the top of the Pac-12 is deep. If you watch those teams, they're all pretty equal, man. Arizona State pulls off some wins, and then you know Colorado's good. So there's all these teams doing some things, and then Utah shuts down Washington State in a way that I didn't think anybody thought Washington State could be shut down. But it was all very dismissive of Oregon, but it's going to be really frustrating for me if Oregon gets through the rest of this Pac-12 schedule, which I think they're capable of doing, because I left that Auburn game going, you know what, I think they're better than Auburn was tonight, and I think yeah. they they should have won this game. But if Auburn ends up losing to LSU and Bama, then all of a sudden people are going to be like, ah, Oregon, you know, that, that, that loss looks a lot worse now. And you just go, what, what the hell did it look like that night? <laughs> like, did it, did it look like <laughs> they right. lost to this awful Auburn team? Because they didn't. And so that that dismissive nature of of what Notre Dame what that win meant in Athens 2 weeks ago depending on how the rest of their stuff goes like i just i don't think the week to week as as connected as people want to make it out to be but i also understand just kind of the math and one of the reasons why i hated the BCS and how they never seem to reward anybody for a good road loss based on the formula. And you know, I don't think people do either. I, I think people still have a really hard time keeping teams with a good loss ahead of undefeated teams that are from power five, especially the traditional conferences or excuse me, the traditional teams that have always been at the top of their conferences. Right. And that's why I brought up the three teams really that have losses that I still think are in the mix. Cause I want to give them credit. Like I want to reward, uh, especially Notre Dame and Texas, for scheduling home and home like those are awesome like how great was the scene in Athens like I want to encourage schools to do that and yet if Notre Dame is a one-loss team and they're knocked out and they're left out of the playoff for whatever reason at the end of the season if you're Notre Dame and you're looking at schedules why wouldn't you try to make the easiest cakewalk schedule you can get there so you can go undefeated and then get a spot in the playoff like that's what it's supposed to be all about and if you're let's say you're Texas and you um you know and I know it was at home for them but they're still going next year to Baton Rouge to play they scheduled the big boys from the SEC and they went there. But what if Texas finds themselves on the outside looking in because, you know, they maybe they have a, maybe there's a, a two loss situation or they're a one loss champ and, you know, you've got multiple undefeateds and they're left out. And they would have been thinking, hey, if we didn't schedule LSU and would have had some directional school, 
we wouldn't be in this position. So I'm with you. I want to give those schools credit for scheduling, and it should matter. Like that's one of the that's just another flaw in the system is that we try to you know Bill Hancock's going to say we want to our mission is to find the four best teams, and yet it's just the, the definition of four def, uh, the four best teams is so convoluted because there's different criteria, and every person in that room can use something different. They say they want to reward strength of schedule, but have they yet? Have they really rewarded a team for a good loss yet? No, they've kind of rewarded the teams that have looked the best at the end of the season and have gone in winning. You know, like that's kind of what they've done, aside from a couple years with Bama when they got in. But, you know, Bama was pretty special, and they showed that they were capable by winning the national championship. So it's just one of the kind of the flaws in the system where I think we really need to get everybody on the same page so that everybody is playing the same conference schedule, either eight or nine games, your pick, the same amount of Power 5 non-conference games, and the same amount of Group of 5 or FCF. Whatever it is, let's just get on the same page so we can evaluate teams correctly. Like, how crazy would that be? Like, I mean, and yet it makes so much sense, and yet we can't, can't get it done. Yeah, what I don't like about the nine conference games is it's motivated clearly by the money that they're able to generate with an extra conference game through television and you know I've, I've mentioned this numerous times before but like big 10 fans acting like they're the ones that are doing this while the pac-12 was doing it forever which was stupid when the pac-12 was doing it because it was just going to start adding losses to teams to your resume and the pac-12 especially back then when it's like look if there's a borderline bowl selection between a pac-12 fan base and a midwest fan base like the pac-12 team is always going to lose out on that bowl line it's you know i forget the term that we used to use back then but it just was their their bowl slots were awful compared to other teams. So I'd rather everybody played eight or not. I, look, I'd rather you're. I'm with you. I'd rather the Power Five all play the same number of conference schedule games. But if if it's nine, I think you're less likely to see these really great non-conference things that I felt like everybody thought was going to be a huge bonus. And you're right. The evidence tells us it's still not really worth it. So. One last one on this, because there's a couple other things I need to get in here. LSU, Oklahoma. Yep. I kind of set this up to see if you'd pick three non-SEC teams, but you picked Bama. <laughs> you picked Georgia. Which Are you going to go three for three on SEC teams in this this exercise? You the trying top to sell, you're trying to set me up. I should have known there was an ulterior oh, motive here. Um, LSU, Oklahoma, neutral field. From what we see now, I mean, again, like at this point, you have to give the edge to LSU. So I would go three for three, SEC clean sweep, because of what they did. You set me up with this question, too. Thank goodness we won't see these matchups. Um, but I well, I would have to lean LSU in this spot. I mean, what they did to Texas, and again, we'll know more in a couple weeks. LSU, or Texas plays Oklahoma. It'll be a great common opponent, right? We'll see what the results are. Um, but I would have to lean LSU, because I do agree with you that LSU's defense, they still have all the dudes, right? I mean, they still got the personnel um, on that side of the ball. They'll figure things out. And what they did against Texas was figure out how they got stops when they mattered, you know, when they needed to get stopped. There were a couple times Texas was knocking on the door. We were standing there watching one of them when they had a goal line stand. They found out how to make the stops when they had to. So you would have to assume that that similar thing would take place which has been the biggest, the Big 12's biggest nemesis has been they've figured out how to, how to score points against the SEC defenses. They have yet to figure out how to stop them from scoring 40 or 50, which is the next step for the Big 12 to get over that, that uh, reputation of not playing any defense. But what I don't want to have happen with that LSU-Texas game is have it wipe out what Texas did to Georgia. And you know there is a very SEC thing to do, and I'm not saying it only happens in that conference, but it seems to happen like a little extra in that one where when they're big – 
team or whatever, you know, a top team like a Georgia loses in the bowl game, then it's like, wow, they didn't really want to be there anyway. But I wouldn't argue against the human nature part of it. But you can't always use that as your out every single freaking time, um, especially when you see a Texas like bum rush a really good Georgia team. So I I look at the LSU win as is is a good win that is as good maybe as any single thing that we have to go on. And uh, I still think Texas has shown me that they're they're going to be a good team. Like when if Oklahoma beats them, then maybe we're going to look at Oklahoma a little bit differently here. I want to uh, before I do anything on that, I want to ask you about the Fair Play Act uh, because yep. I, I've spent so much time with you and I've seen some of the stuff on Twitter. And I'm going to throw a theory at you, and then I want you to tell me whether or not you like that theory, and then we'll discuss it. And that that'll be kind of the last thing we want to do here because I want to spend some time on it with you. Okay. Okay. So yep, the Fair Play Act would would take place starting January 2023. It would basically allow the state, and California is going to do this, and now they're even talking about Ohio because this is going to be very predictable. If California decides to do this, then other big-time programs are going to go ahead and say to their state, hey, we want to do this too because we don't want to start losing out on players. And this stuff can become very um, predictable in the way it plays out. But basically, players would be able to make money off their likeness, something that was always in debate. I'm like, who is it really hurt? Now, I would say you are as far to one side as anybody except for maybe Gottlieb when it comes to the arguments of why there shouldn't be any further player compensation, that this is not a bad deal. I am more than willing to accept anything that, that gets players to be compensated a little bit more because whenever the organizations, whether it's the NCAA or the schools that argue or the conference commissioner saying, hey, there's just not enough money. It's going to ruin all these other things. I think they're completely full of shit because now they're finding ways to spend all of this extra money as fast as they possibly can because they don't want to set the precedent of giving the money to the players when I think there's some realistic kind of cool things that schools could do this with. But now this isn't even on the schools. This is just on the player finding a way to make some money on the side off of his his name and his likeness. Now, my guess with you is that you're opposed to this, not so much because you think this is going to set some awful precedent. Maybe you do. Maybe I haven't read through every single your t- one of your tweets. But I think you have become conditioned, as I am on certain arguments, where it does feel like it becomes political. Now, you are more right than I am. Um, I'm right on a lot of financial stuff, um, some economic stuff. I'm a little more left on, on some of the social stuff, but I think people would be surprised kind of how all over the map, but we've had some long talks about how we feel about things politically um, during commercial breaks where I think, cause you were so much more right than I was that people thought I was like another crazy liberal from ESPN, which definitely is not the case if you know me at all. But I think your argument, you become more stubborn about it, Danny, because you know that there's a certain people that are arguing for basically the death of the NCAA, and it's almost like you don't want to give an inch. Is that fair to assume in some of your arguments about where we're headed with athletes being compensated in college? Yes, yeah, so I think that's fair, but I think you might be surprised at how, even since we haven't been together as much over how the last you are now? years, <laughs> yes, I am just a raging liberal now. Um, I would say I've evolved like in my thought okay. process, very similar. I have. So, but I think it's also similar to like transfer. If you would ask me 10 to 12 years ago, what I thought about transferring, I would have been like, ah, oh, those are losers, you know, and nobody you can't be a teammate and transfer. And yet I've totally come around like, Hey, these are all unique circumstances. There are some guys who 
maybe they lose out a job and they just want to play and they want to go somewhere else. So I've totally evolved on that point of view. Um, and I think I've come, I don't know if I'm going to be as full go as Jay Billis or some other people that are, or Jay Williams who are out there really making the case to try to destroy the NCAA. But I also think that I'm a believer in compromise, right? And I still would say I don't want the players to be paid, which is kind of dumb when you have politicians that are out there saying, uh, quote, tweeting Gavin Newsom's thing and saying, pay the players when this isn't what that is. This is actually a way around um, the problem that the NCAA is, right? Because the NCAA, they, that's why I'm like kind of confused. Like Their issue with this is not going to affect their bottom line at all. So it's kind of a, a solution for them that's been offered to them that they can say, hey, this is going to appease everybody and it doesn't take any money out of our pocket. Like, Why would this be a good thing? Um, where are the evolved? And by the way, I think this is very bipartisan, actually. But I've seen a lot of, you know, Gavin Newsom obviously is liberal, but I've also seen, you know, I talked to a congressman from North Carolina the other day who had on my show with McElroy. He's a Republican. He's proposing the bill in North Carolina. A guy that went to Florida State that I actually know pretty well in Florida is proposing a similar bill in the state of Florida. He's a Republican. Um, I think he's getting a lot of, (laughs) no, not him, but it is a lot of bipartisan support and where I kind of come around, I'm definitely concerned about some of the unknown. Like, right, like what does this mean for the underbelly of recruiting? But on the flip side, smart enough to say, you know what, maybe this actually levels the playing field. We've already had these powerhouses who have been, you know, funneling money to recruits with bag men and giving cash into the table. Maybe other schools who never thought this was possible, they have a booster or somebody that wants to come out and give and buy a program. Let's say, hey, let's, let's make – I don't know, SMU, who's having a pretty nice year, by the way. Let's bring them back to where they were in the 80s. They got a lot of deep pockets. I know they don't play in the Power Five, but they could start buying recruits. Why not? Like, hey, why, that, that could be a good thing. Like, maybe all of a sudden, instead of having the same 10 teams every year, we see a new player or two that just kind of gets a window, and they want to buy some recruits. Hey, I'm not, I, don't, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. But what has been really dumb, and is what really bothered me, is when you see guys getting suspended for, you know, you had 13 players at North Carolina suspended for selling shoes on eBay. You had Ohio State players' legacies, you know, destroyed because they've got free tattoos. That's stupid. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So if this rule allows them to do that and they can still play, like, what's the harm in it? Um, if, there is, if there are kids who are able to make some money. See, the thing is, there's so much misinformation on that. That's probably the thing that's more frustrating than anything is the amount of misinformation that you hear from people on either side, both sides. Like, it would be disingenuous for me to tell you, Ryan, oh, this is going to destroy the NCAA. This is going to destroy college athletics. It would be the same way it's disingenuous for people to compare being a student athlete to slavery. You know, like, it's just like you hear those things, and they're just simply not true. So that's probably the thing that's been most frustrating to me, and probably the most rational thing I can do with this, say, you know what, this is still four years away. There's going to be a lot of little tweaks. There's going to be a lot of little adjustments and everybody's going to survive, and it's going to be okay. You know, no one noticed that Kyler Murray was making $5 million a year from the Oakland Athletics, and it didn't destroy that locker room. They still were able to make a playoff. They still had a pretty successful season. So there's kind of like, I've, I've just, I guess, this long way of blabbering to say, you know what, I've kind of evolved where, you know, I think I'm willing to take that next step, and we'll see. We'll see how it works out. But I don't think it's going to be as bad as people make it out to be. And I also think it's going to be this destroyer of the NCA. I think we'll kind of figure it out on the way as we go.
Yeah, a lot of good points in there. And the first one that's the most important one, which is still kind of screwed up, is that the NCAA should be rooting for this to happen. So that it's like, yeah. all right, wait a minute, are we going to get like sort of a pass here? Then we still have to give up any of this TV money. We can keep paying coaches more and more money instead of slides and, and barbecue shops. On You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing that I always just think is funny, even though I love all these programs and it's a real experience. And I do think that a lot of people overstate each athlete's value to the program. Um you know, sometimes you read about value of the athlete and, and what he's doing and what the revenue is. You just read it and be like, all right, who wrote this? Like, this is terrible. Like, you're not you're not living in reality. But for those that are like, oh, there's the, the locker room we divided. I mean, shit, these guys probably get mad when they're like, hey, how come he got the new Vapor Maxes? Like, you were supposed to get me those, <laughs> and then you don't. And then the guy will be, like, pissed off at the equipment guys. So, you know, maybe the people that should want this to happen more than anybody are the equipment guys because equipment guys deal with all sorts of stuff because, like, <laughs> some guys want more stuff. They want gear for friends, girlfriends, relatives, and, and all this stuff. And it's like, man, when you're 18, you just want this. Now, the thing I always thought was really stupid is some of the booster stuff. Yeah, the assumption that this isn't already happening and that now some school out of nowhere is going to have boosters that wouldn't have cheated but are so prideful in their school. Now they're going to do it where they're going to give – some kid a half a million dollars to endorse a car dealership. Like, and even if maybe there's a blip of this that happens in that first year where it feels a little out of control. And then some of the boosters are like, you know, what's a massive waste of money is giving an offensive lineman 200 grand on the side. <laughs> and we went six and six again. So maybe I'm not going to do this. I just don't think it'll be out of control. And I think we as a society really, the tweet that I use is like people going, you can't have patches on NBA jerseys. It's just so, it's just such a, I'll never watch it. And it's like, could you name a patch on an NBA jersey? <laughs> like, can you, now I can just cause I, whatever, but. <laughs> I couldn't, I, that doesn't resonate with me. I absolutely right. couldn't. It's not I, a big deal. I would love to meet the guy. I would love to meet the guy that's like, I, well, I love the NBA up until like two years ago. I'm like, why? Right. Well, you know, the whole patches. <laughs> okay so right. that's i stopped watching yeah that's a little bit that ge thing on that celtics i just felt felt just i can't see john havlicek having a ge jersey so that's kind of where i'm at but it wow it sounds so like are, you, you, are really, you impressed with my evolution are you impressed i think i'm more disappointed <laughs> <laughs> you want to me come on here and yell and pound the table i really like so here's the other thing and i think you hit on it i and this is where again there's misinformation like LeBron out there and, you know, Draymond calling it the NCAA dictatorship. You can call it a lot of things. You can call it even corrupt. I think it's probably a wrong word, but if you want to accuse them of being that, that's fine. But a dictatorship, it's just simply not that. Like, it's just dumb. Like, there's so much misinformation that's out there. But ultimately, like, all the, you know, like, there's this celebration, like, hey, these guys are going to be getting paid. Like, yeah, look at all this money flowing to the athletes. It's not going to be that much money, you know, which, which, I mean, that's great. And hey, to some people, a couple hundred bucks would mean a world. I know even for me, and I came from a, a nice – my dad was a doctor. Like, I had pretty good means. If I, did, yeah, I got a couple hundred-dollar handshakes. That money was awesome. Like, are you kidding me? I'd go out and get whatever I wanted, go buy dinner and do whatever. Like, that was great. And if that's what it means, if it's a few hundred bucks, a few thousand bucks, that's great. I'm sure there will be a few guys who make, you know, $100,000, a Trevor Lawrence, a Tua Tonga Valoa. They're going to be millionaires anyway. So what's the difference if they get it a little bit earlier and they start getting a head start? Because, again, there's probably some agent floating them alone if they needed that money anyway before they turn pro. So it's just, for me, I'm like, it's not really worth the fight. I would fight if it was pay the players because then I do think it disrupts the landscape of scholarships. Where does the funding go? Is it going to 
would you have to shut down baseball programs, which I played, you know, women's sports. I do think that opens up the Pandora's box, but this one seems like a pretty good compromise, which I'm all for at this point. What was your first $100 handshake like at Florida State? Ah, yeah, I knew you were going to follow that one up. Uh, it was a car dealer uh, <laughs> at Florida State, and I remember my roommate had gotten a couple, and I was kind of pissed. I'm like, what the heck, man? Where the heck is mine? And it was one guy, and uh, he was just like an old-timer, like long. He actually played basketball at Florida State, and it wasn't multiple hundreds. It wasn't like a stack of papers. It was literally just a $100 bill the first time I got it. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And it was like subtle. And it felt like you were doing something so shady. I mean, it really wasn't that big a deal, but it was awesome. Like it was just one of those things. Like I watched, what was it? Johnny B. Good, the movie with, um, what's his name? The football movie where the kid got recruited. Um, yeah, Michael you know, Anthony Hall. From Breakfast Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it felt like that. I was like, oh, this is the big time. Now a big time college football and get $100 handshake. But I think looking back, if I would have been suspended over that, that would have been so dumb. I remember going to the Silver Slipper, which was the best steakhouse in Tallahassee. And see, the Silver Slipper was smart. You know why? Because I'd take my offensive line there, go take care of them, get them a big steak dinner. And you know what happened when I got the bill? It would be for $1. And the owner would kind of come over and he'd wink at me. And he's like, make sure you pay your bill so we're all in the up and up. And I'm like, really? Like, this is what we're doing? But I did. Paid my bill. Gave him a nice tip. It was probably $20 on a 200 Like, I probably, those waiters must have hated us because we didn't tip anything. But that was, like, such a stupid, I probably still could have been suspended for that, but that's the type of stuff that goes on where you're like, really, like, what are we doing? Let's just let this out in the open where you can do it, as opposed to some guys losing eligibility because they make a few hundred bucks, getting a free meal or signing a few autographs. It's really just, that's the thing that's just kind of dumb. So what are we doing? Let's move forward with this one and see where it goes. I promise I would already let you go, but I, I want you to get out all the stuff you're doing because I actually can't keep up with it how many different jobs you have now and just, you know, throw onto that. It was, uh, it was tough going through what you had to go through. Um, and I don't want to make this sad, but that's why I was just so pumped to run into you in Austin. Cause you seemed the happiest you'd been in a long time and just kind of where you're at with it all now, man. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it was tough. I, I still believe it was harder for me than getting cut in the NFL or getting cut in any sport because, at least when I was in the NFL, like I saw it coming and you know, the conversations we had when now that was going down, I was the one that was gone for six weeks. Right. Right. (laughs) And I was bummed for you and we're trying to figure out and I'm talking, I'm like, no, I think I'm good, but Hey man, I'm here for you. Like, you know, like that's the way I approached it. And then I was shopping for houses the whole time. So I was handling it well, I thought, but right. So that was the first thing is the blind side of me. Like when I got cut from the giants, I was like, yeah, I knew it was coming. When I got cut from the Broncos, I knew it was coming. I just kind of knew what was going on. The blindside aspect really hurt. And the other thing, which I didn't have to deal with when I was a professional athlete, was family. You know what my family meant. You know the, yeah. like the sacrifices my wife made for moving to Connecticut. We all lived there. And we had a really nice setup. We were over at our house. Kids, my girls were young. And they were in school. And it was just hard, you know. But And it took some time. But, you know, it all happens for a reason. And we're able to move back to Florida where I'm from. We're closer to my parents. My girls are thriving in schools. Like it all worked out, you know, and I knew it would, but it just sucks. You know, I, I had a ton of fun working with you. Like I thought we had a blast. Like it was a great show and the amount of support that we both got and you continue to get, like, it's awesome. Like people liked what we did and they appreciated that. So it was like something good came out of it in the end, but it was a great time, man. I really enjoyed 
the experience I had, not only with just with you and the year and a half we did our show, but the five years I was in Bristol. Like, yeah, ESPN has problems, but like the people that you go to work with every day, like they're awesome. Like it's a fun place to work and it's really cool. And it was a great experience and I wouldn't regret, I wouldn't change anything. You know, it was awesome. Do you, do you think you would change the SEC network programming tweet to the rainbow bars? If you could do it over again? <laughs> I, you know, my wife is convinced that that's what got me fired. And there, it probably did not help when the discussions were being had over who we were, uh, who was on the chopping block. And I, I, I have a hunch it might have come into play at some point. Definitely didn't help the conversation, that's for sure. Probably would have taken that one back. Although it was, it might have been one of my most retweeted tweets out there. So I, I don't know. Tough dilemma. <laughs> so it was worth- sacrifice my career or, or, or get the retweet. The things I'll do for a Twitter retweet are pretty amazing. So, I've heard, legend call. has it, that that tweet came up <laughs> when, <laughs> when you were being discussed. So It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't surprise me. That or our uh, our, our political talk, talking about Donald Trump and the debate in the first round of 16 when he was up there and we got the company-wide email that said, hey, let's stop talking politics just because we said it was entertaining television, which was kind of funny. That was a pretty a amazing... It was, yeah. I think it was your liberal drop. That was what got me in trouble. Branding me as a conservative killed me. <laughs> yeah, that, that didn't help, because the Trump thing is actually fascinating if you go back in time and think about it, because here we are all reading about Trump, and I do think that the topic should be studied in colleges and how wrong the media can be, because everyone was so, too close to it, and they were all reading the same tweets, and I follow some political people... And it's like, okay, he's done now this week. And okay, this was funny. And he was mean in this debate. Now this is over. And it just never, like they were wrong. I don't know that anyone's ever been as collectively wrong about the same story that many times in such a short amount of time. And when you and I played a couple sound bites from it, I would say some people at ESPN that were decision makers that leaned left thought that it was like two conservatives doing this thing where we were supporting them and it was the furthest thing from it we were simply going hey everyone's talking about this there was no mandate at that point and then it was you know this is this is crazy like listen to this guy what a jerk he sounds like basically like that was the whole bit it had nothing to do it was the furthest thing from being supportive of him and somehow it turned into that and then i'd heard you know weeks afterwards they're like man you really you two guys man started some shit here with that Trump segment. <laughs> and I was like, did anyone listen to it? And then, you know, and then of right. course you wonder, and then, and then it was kind of funny. Cause after the fact, it didn't seem like anybody going to memo for anything for years that they said politically. And then it turned into just, you know, all, all sorts of stuff. I mean, I have probably an hour segment solo in me about the <laughs> politics and the movement and the motivations behind different things where, you know, I don't even think it's, it's anti any company. It's just, I've always felt that sometimes people thought politically if they stood out and they'd get a bunch of retweets, like it was great for their career. And it wasn't for us to even just play Trump sound when we were basically kind of laughing at the guy, but we were, it was a train wreck. I mean, that's what, that's what we were. And it was entertaining. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on when Donald Trump was this TV star. I know he's a billion, you know, he's a you know billionaire, but for him Maybe. to come in there and just wreck dudes and call out Jeb Bush and call out all these guys, like the nicknames, like that was, such a phenomenon and for us we enjoy talking about sports but we also wanted to be relevant and talk about what everybody's talking about and that's what we were doing like that's all we did and you're right it became somehow oh my gosh we're giving trump airtime it's an endorsement which it couldn't have been anything further from the truth so yeah know. that's that's yeah, really what i thought right. it, it became <laughs> yeah you know what in the future yeah. if we're ever back at espn we won't do a trump segment 
So yeah, um, good call. I don't think we have to worry about it right now. But uh, where yeah. where can everyone hear you? Because I know the podcast and the radio show with with Tori and everything. So just uh, run through the whole rundown of it because I don't want to get into it. Yeah. Wrong. So I do a, a radio show on Sirius on ESPNU Radio on Sirius every morning through college football season with Greg McElroy. That's seven to ten. Rajah Bell and I have a podcast. It's pretty fun. It's uh, you can find it anywhere podcasts are at. Uh, Kennell and Bell. And then the show with Tori, and uh, that's on uh, Mad Dog. Every day is one to three. So I'm working all these jobs just to make what I made with one job at ESPN. So that's just, I'm still able to put food on the table. That's the good news. That's good. Well, I good know thing. what you made at ESPN, so that means you're still doing what you're prospering, <laughs> but you're just working exactly. a hell of a lot I'm more. I'm doing so all right. I'm not rolling in the Rolex Skydweller like some of us, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> well, the only reason I can afford a Rolex is because I don't have three kids asking me for sneakers every six months. So. <laughs> Um, that is true. Every year I go without a kid, I buy myself another watch. So you and go. you should, you should, you should <laughs> no, maybe I shouldn't, back. maybe I shouldn't, but whatever. Um, great talking to you, man. Let's do it again before the season runs out. All right. Absolutely. We'll do it, man. Good catching up, Ryan. Okay. So this is back to back co-host weeks because we have Van Pelt coming up early on Friday. So hopefully that'll be released a uh, little after the afternoon, um, Pacific time. So just in time for your commute home back on the East coast, I do think people are a little confused about how the podcasts are going to be coming out. Um, and I appreciate your anxiousness about them. But with studios and me taping on the West Coast, for the East Coast crowd, like they're just not going to be up at 9 a.m. on the East Coast because we're not, no one's around to tape these things at 6 a.m. And I don't want to tape them at 6 a.m. either. So uh, that's just kind of the way it goes. So if it's like one or two and one hasn't come out yet, it's probably because we taped and it's coming out soon. So um, check it out, Van Pelt. Make sure you subscribe a lot to the Rosillo podcast here on The Ringer, and we'll talk to you Friday.